You are listening to a Crosspoint Peachtree City podcast. For more information, please visit our website at www.crosspointptc.com. century uh, English Renaissance scientist and philosopher Francis Bacon, known for his pioneering work with regard to the, uh, the scientific method, once said, there are two books laid before us to study to prevent our falling into error. First, the volume of the scriptures, which reveal the will, will of God, then the volume of the creation, which expresses his power. The 19th Psalm brings before us the beauty of, of both the general revelation of God through nature and the special revelation of God through scripture, a God who never ceases to communicate both through his works and through his word. This psalm leading C.S. Lewis to declare in his reflections on the psalms, I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. Now that's saying something coming from Lewis. This psalm uh, itself, what we know as a, a wisdom psalm, as it invites us to see God's revelation and truth and apply it to our lives for his glory and our joy. And those two are not at odds with one another. Beginning in verse one, the psalmist says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Here the psalmist, which many believe to be uh, David, speaks of creation above as the handiwork of God testifying to the glory of God. The heavens, meaning the abode of the stars, the visible universe, and the sky or firmament. It's an old word for the the visible arch of blue sky that appears from our perspective to sit atop the earth like a snow globe. It's not to say that the earth and the waters nor uh, their inhabitants as part of God's creation fail to testify to his glory. Rather, it's to say that the focus of, of this particular psalm is on the handiwork of God when we look above us. Day to day, says verse two, pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. These lyrics declaring that there there is no moment in time when creation stops testifying to and revealing the glory of God. Day to day, night to night, sun, moon, and stars, the unspoken proclamation of creation, the visual testimony of creation shouting as a canvas would to an art lover. We've all seen it. Again, it's inescapable, whether it be uh, the, the sun rising with its pastels of pinks and purples or the canopy of stars hanging above us in the sky at night. There is no moment in time when the canvas of creation stops uh, testifying to and revealing the, the glory of God, nor is there, verse four, any place in the world as we know it where creation fails to testify to and reveal this glory through all the earth, to the end of the world. That pretty much covers it all, right? 
Isaiah 6.3 says it this way. In Isaiah's uh, experience before the very throne of God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. In the words of one scholar, as God created the universe, he poured his glory into every atom and complex system, whether in the cosmos or in the ecosphere. The creation, even now, is declaring the glory of God in a universal language, revealing his existence, his power, his nature, plainly to all. The Apostle Paul says it well in his famous letter to the Romans, chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they, that is sinners, are without excuse. The fingerprint of God is evident in creation so that we can suppress the truth, but we cannot escape the truth. I love this. One of the spokespersons of the, uh, the Enlightenment around the time of the French Revolution said to Christians, we will pull down your steeples so that you will not be reminded of your superstitions. To which Christians responded, yes, but you will not be able to rip the stars out of space. Fingerprint of God, it's everywhere. All of creation, the handiwork of God testifying to the glory of God. Continues in verse four of this psalm. In them, that is the heavens, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man uh, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Having spoken of the expanse of the heavens, the psalmist, with a zoom lens, so to speak, focuses in on the sun, using two similes to depict from an earthly perspective uh, its rising and setting. I, I say from an earthly perspective because, as we know, the sun doesn't actually rise and, and set, Right? The fact of the matter being that we're on a small inhabitable planet being flung around a ball of fire in the sky at a speed of roughly Mach 86, which is about the equivalent to 67,000 miles per hour or roughly between 18 and 19 miles per second, which is no slight on the psalmist nor the inerrancy of this great hymn as he composes an, an honest expression of truth beautifully and poetically from the, the vantage point of human observation. Again, using two similes to depict from that earthly perspective, the sun's rising and setting, which in its own unique way reveals something of God's glory. The first simile communicating something of the sun's radiance, like the joy of a bridegroom emerging from his chamber to be joined to his bride, the beauty of the, the radiant dawn as the sun comes up over the horizon, giving visible expression to the colors and contours of creation where there was but a moment before nothing but darkness. The second simile communicating something of the sun's power and purpose, likened to a strong warrior who sets out on his course 
or an athlete who runs his race with all of his energy and might, doing what he was made to do. As does the sun each and every day among the many elements of God's above us creation. So scorching in heat, verse six, the sun, that were we to attempt to destroy it, our weapons of mass destruction would be incinerated before ever reaching its surface. The solar probe uh, missions of NASA are only able to get within four million miles. And yet the heat of the sun, not just declaring something of God's greatness and power, but to his goodness and grace, giving light to the earth, warmth and energy, enabling us to live and flourish. The heavens declare the glory of God, revealing something of God's eternal power and divine nature, leaving us without excuse and yet insufficient to bring us to salvation. To paraphrase one scholar, revelation from nature is enough to condemn us, but it is not enough to save us. That just as there is no physical life apart from the sun, there is no spiritual life apart from the word. It's scripture that tells us of the hope of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in the crucified and risen Jesus alone. Which is perhaps what the psalmist had in mind in moving into verses seven through nine where we get this language of the law of the Lord being perfect, reviving the soul, the testimony of the Lord, sure, making wise the simple, the precepts of the Lord right, rejoicing the heart, the commandment of the Lord pure, enlightening the eyes, the fear of the Lord clean, enduring forever, and the rules of the Lord true and righteous altogether. Here the psalmist presents a, a sweeping description of, of God's word like the sun that from our earthly perspective sweeps across the sky. The six-fold description capturing something of the, the power and beauty of God's word which enables us like the sun to live, to flourish, here shifting the psalmist does from the general name for creator, verse one, maker of sun, moon, and stars, to the name Yahweh, verses seven through nine here. Yahweh being God's name in relation to his covenant people. Natural revelation, it can tell us of a sovereign creator, but only special revelation can tell us of a covenantal redeemer. Again, this six-fold description capturing something of the, the beauty and the power of God's word, which enables us to live and flourish the law of the Lord, the psalmist says, verse seven, is, is perfect, reviving the soul. Law being the Hebrew word Torah, which is the comprehensive term for God's revealed instruction or will. In other words, the revealed instruction or will of the Lord is perfect, it's complete, it's whole, it's sound. Reviving the soul, he says, or restoring the life. Jesus famously said, famously said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That as food nourishes the body, so God's word nourishes the, the soul, restoring life and refreshment to the soul. Testimony of the Lord, verse seven, is sure, making wise the simple. Testimony meaning God's testifying witness about himself as well as what he attests is true whether we agree with it or not. His testifying witness, sure, meaning trustworthy or believable or verifiable, making wise the simple, giving wisdom to those who lack it. 
And, and, and that's kind of a, a junk drawer sort of uh, imagery and language. It refers to those who are foolish, those who are undiscerning, those who are naive, those who are gullible, those who are impressionable. God's word showing us how to live in accordance with God-glorifying reality, to not swim against the current of God's good design. The precepts of the Lord, verse eight, are right, rejoicing the heart. Precepts meaning statutes or guidelines for living. Such guidelines from the Lord, the psalmist says, are right, meaning straight and level, not crooked or perverse. They're a steady path. They don't shake us off into into one ditch or the other. Rejoicing the heart, he says, gladdening the inner man. That there's a happiness at stake here. Verse 8, he goes on, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes, meaning that God's is the way that is innocent. God's is the way that is clean. The word translated pure, a word often connected with the sun, meaning clear or brilliant or radiant, illuminating, God's word does, or giving light to the eyes, in turn, illuminating or lighting up the soul. In the words of one scholar, Yahweh has made the sun for light in creation and has given his word for light in redemption. The fear of the Lord, verse nine, is clean, enduring forever. The fear of the Lord, meaning the the reverence-producing revelation of his holy will. It reminds us, and I've used this example before, that that there's this both and in God that I think C.S. Lewis captures beautifully in the character of Aslan in his Chronicles of Narnia. That in one sense, you want to curl up in his arms, in his bushy paws, or ride on his back through fields of flowers, And in the other sense, he could roar at any moment and it would shake the foundations of the earth and cause us to fall on our faces before him. Fear of the Lord, reverence producing revelation of his holy will, which is clean, pure, without blemish, enduring forever, standing or abiding for all eternity. The rules of the Lord are true, verse nine, and righteous altogether, Rules meaning judgments establishing justice, decisions or determinations about human life and conduct in God's world. His judgments or determinations, true. He'll never be disbarred from the bench. He's not a corrupt judge. He always gets it right. Every judgment, every decision, every determination, righteous altogether, completely just. This is how scripture describes scripture, these verses. And how scripture describes the God of scripture. The psalmist here, spinning the the multifaceted jewel of God's word, you might say, inviting us to behold each facet in its distinguishing beauty, while at the same time, because he's spinning it so quickly in a matter of of a few verses, uh, he holds the entirety of the jewel before us, that we might see its multifaceted beauty at the same time. The New Testament counterpart to this passage being uh, the famous 2 Timothy 3.16, which says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 
breathed out by God. Just as creation was spoken into existence by God. Living and active, God's word, Hebrews 4, effectual in that it has the power to do what it promises to do. That we, we hold something very precious in our possession, the, the sacred writings of Scripture, able to make us wise for salvation, providing for us inexhaustible ways, multifaceted ways to see, savor, and enjoy the Lord. So that it should come as no surprise that, that the psalmist would go on to say uh, in verses 10 and 11, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Here the psalmist declares that God's word is more precious than finest gold, speaking to its infinite value which may seem strange to some who see the word of God as restrictive in nature. And yet the psalmist understands God's word to be God's kindness in helping us to know how to live in accordance with his will, laying up for ourselves, Matthew 6, as we do, treasures in heaven. And he goes all the way back to creation. God didn't just say, don't eat of the one tree. Implicitly, it was eat of all the others. I've given this example before as it's been incredibly helpful to me. Uh, one of my old seminary professors in uh, hermeneutics class that I took, which is just a fancy word for you know, Bible interpretation, uh, as he was explaining the, the law and its, its many purposes, one, to lead us to salvation as we can't keep it perfectly, two, to restrain evil in the world. It could be worse than it is. Three, to help us know how to live as a, a guidebook for sanctification. And with that third, the, the way he painted the picture, and some of you have heard this illustration before, he said, imagine going into an ice cream shop with your, one of your kids for the first time and giving them no sort of guidelines as to how to experience what they're about to experience. Anything can happen, right? A young child could throw the ice cream across the room, giving it away, no longer to enjoy it, could eat it from the bottom up and realize that he or she is wearing half of it by the time you know, all is said and done, missing half of the joy. And so what, what do you do? You, you teach your child to lick the ice cream cone, to eat the ice cream cone from the top down. That's probably the best way, seems to be maybe in accordance with God's design, to not, don't throw the ice cream cone. Don't drop the ice cream cone, be careful. These are imperatives. These are commands, right? And they're meant to obtain or maximize greatest joy in the experience. The same is true of God and his children. He's a loving father who essentially is telling us how to live in accordance with the greatest maximization of our joy. It's what verse 11 declares, the two-edged sword of God's word, which warns us of the dangers of the broad path that leads to destruction, while two, declaring to us the path of eternal, joyful reward. John Piper, in his commentary on these verses, he says, if you have a choice between the word of God and gold, choose the word of God. If you have a choice between the word of God and much gold, choose the word of God. 
If you have the choice between the word of God and much fine gold, choose the word of God. The point is plain. The benefits of knowing and doing the word of God are greater than all that money can buy. Here the psalmist speaks to the infinite value of God's word, declaring it to be more precious than finest gold, to declaring the word of God not only to be of infinite value, but infinite delight, sweeter than the sweetest drippings of the honeycomb, greater than the greatest of the world's pleasures. In the words of one scholar, the word is a treasure to be claimed and a taste to be enjoyed. goes on in verses 12 and 13. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults, O Lord. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. The psalmist comes face to face with his own sinfulness and sitting with the revelatory wonder of the the cosmos and the righteousness of God's law, which leads him to cry out to the Lord for forgiveness of and protection from sin. Who can discern his errors? Meaning that sin deceives us. None of us in this room, myself included, knows just truly how deep the rabbit hole goes. We have hidden faults, verse 12 all the more desperate for the word of God that it might, like a mirror, help us to see our true condition and need. And those are just the hidden ones. These, in addition to verse 13, willful, presumptuous sins, those that we commit because we arrogantly believe we know better than God. Even down to the subtle presumption that the sin is worth it. In comparison to the path to which God beckons us for his glory, for our joy, The psalmist recognizing in poverty of spirit his great need for God's empowering strength, that he might be blameless, meaning above reproach, innocent of presumptuously trading gold for tin, trading honey for corn syrup. Closes out this incredible song in verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. These words, some of the most famous in all of the Psalms. The psalmist having begun with the, the vastness of the cosmos, the sun whose heat we cannot escape, to ending with the intimacy of the human heart and the Lord whose sight we cannot escape. Offering these words as something of a, of a sacrifice to God and with that a recognition of his great need for God. Declaring the Lord to be his rock, firm and strong, a safe place to hide. To his redeemer, in the original Hebrew, a kinsman rescuer, like Boaz was for Ruth. Which leads me to a a question, again, that I, I wanna try to answer each week of this series. Namely, how does this psalm point us to Jesus? Jesus said to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus that, uh, Essentially, the Old Testament points to me in in all of its various genres, including the Psalms. It's incredible to consider in light of the, the general revelation of God through nature and the special revelation of God through his word. As it pertains to to general revelation through nature, many of you know this, Jesus is the Father's agent in the work of creation. Colossians 1:16, for by him 
That is by Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus, the the father's agent in the work of creation, the abode of the stars, the visible universe. Jesus too, the sustainer of all things who commands the, the sun, the moon and the stars to continue to hang like stage lighting from the cosmos. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says it this way, he, that is Christ, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Again, around the time of the French Revolution, it was said to Christians, we will pull down your steeples so that you will not be reminded of your superstitions to which Christians responded, yes, but you will not be able to rip the stars out of space. And that's because Jesus upholds those stars along with the rest of the universe by the word of his power. As it pertains to the special revelation of God through his word, Jesus is, according to the author of Hebrews chapter one, the full and final revelation of God, the final word to his people. He who not only came proclaiming the word of God, but who is the word of God, John 1. The language describing God's word in this psalm, describing Christ himself, perfect, whole, complete, without blemish, the unblemished lamb who restores our souls from death to life, sure, trustworthy, and believable, making wise the simple as wisdom personified and the source of wisdom, straight and level, never crooked nor perverse, rejoicing the heart, gladdening the inner man, more clear, brilliant, and radiant than the sun. In fact, the radiance of the glory of God, shining in the hearts of sinners to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory. 2 Corinthians 4. Enduring forever, standing or abiding for all eternity as King of kings and Lord of lords. With his judgments, perfect justice, faithful, reliable, never off the mark. God has revealed himself in creation and his word so that man is without excuse. And God has revealed himself in Christ Jesus so that man can know forgiveness and redemption. Having come, Jesus did to satisfy the heart-piercing demands of the law on behalf of sinners like you and me. The treasure hidden in a field, verse 10, more infinitely valuable than the finest of gold worth selling everything in our joy to obtain. The fount of everlasting joy in whose presence is infinitely deeper pleasure than the sweetest of honey. Our rock, verse 14, the rock of ages in whom we can hide ourselves. The water and the blood from his wounded side sins double cure as we sing often in saving us from wrath and making us pure. He who died not only for our forgiveness, but to our spirit-empowered, sin-killing obedience, embedding his will deep within the hearts of his people by his spirit in the context of a restored relationship with him. Obedience, no longer an obligation, but a joy birthed out of an astonishment that he would move toward us by his grace. Our redeemer, verse 14, the greater kinsman redeemer than Boaz, who saw the ashes of our ruin, our need for redemption, who is willing and able to pay the price for our redemption, rescuing lost sinners for 
like you and me, into a forever family at the cost not of perishable things like silver or gold, but his precious blood. So I would ask, have you trusted in him as your rock, as your redeemer? Is he your treasure? Is he your delight? Perhaps today is the day of salvation for someone in this room to repent of your sins and to turn to Jesus for the forgiveness that can only be found in him. If he is your treasure, if he is your delight, if, if our time in Psalm 19 this, this morning has stirred your heart in joy, then, then we, must, we must sing that out, right? As Lewis says elsewhere in his writings that we, the joy isn't complete until it's expressed. Like someone at a sporting event or a concert of a favorite band or artist, if you were forced to hold in the lyrics and not sing along, or hold in the chants of the team and not shout it out. Oh, how miserable that would be. So now we get our chance to make the joy complete, to, to sing together as God's people gathered. Also have an opportunity to receive of the Lord's Supper. If you're not a Christian, I would encourage you not to partake of the bread and the cup, but that your next steps would be those of repentance and trust in Jesus. If you wanna talk about that more, what that even means. I'd love to, I'll be in the back of the auditorium or if you wanna set up a time to connect. If you are a Christian, as many of you know, we take the bread representing the broken body of Jesus. We dip it in the cup representing his shed blood. As you prepare to receive of those elements, I just encourage you to sit for a moment with verse 14 of this morning's Psalm. Oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer, and recognize that Christ is the rock of ages in whom we can hide ourselves. Again, the water and the blood from his wounded side sends double cure, saving us from wrath, making us pure. He is the greater kinsman redeemer than Boaz, who has paid the price of our redemption with his blood. Sit with these words, this imagery, as you receive of those elements joyfully this morning. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions about this message, visit us at crosspointptc.com. There you can contact us, find further resources, and directions to our gatherings. That's C-R-O-S-S-P-O-I-N-T-E-P-T-C.com.